Hello and welcome to the CircuitPython weekly meeting for August 19th, 2019. I'm Scott and I go by Tannute Online. I am the project lead for CircuitPython uh, for Adafruit. CircuitPython is a version of the Python programming language that makes it really easy to use tiny, com oh, tiny computers called microcontrollers. Um, it runs on a wide variety of devices that range from nine dollars a piece up uh and up uh this meeting is our weekly check-in with our community uh all the folks that are working on circuit python uh it's a chance for us to sync and understand uh, all the different aspects of what's going on in the community it happens on mondays at 11 a.m pacific 2 p.m eastern on the adafruit discord server if you want to join that discord server we'd love to have you uh, the URL to do so is adafru.it slash discord. Uh, that will jump jump you into there. We're in the text channel basically all week, and then we're in the voice channel for CircuitPython during this meeting. Uh, everybody's welcome to drop in. Uh, if you want to participate, uh, then you're good to go. Uh, if you want to just listen in, say tell us you're lurking. And uh, if you can only uh, like type in the text chat and don't have a mic, let us know your text only. Um, this meeting is run in five parts. We start with a community news section, which is uh, kind of all of the highlights that are going on. Uh, then we have hug reports, or no, state of CircuitPython and, and the libraries. This is kind of a statistics overview of the health of the project. It's kind of, it gives us an objective way of measuring how things are going. Uh, after that, we have Hug Reports, as I was saying. Hug Reports is a chance to say thank you to folks for the work that they've been doing kind of since you've had that chance to say otherwise, typically a week. Uh, if you, uh, again, are lurking and just want to listen, let us know. If you're text-only, let us know. And uh, if you're unable to make the meeting, uh, you can always put your notes in the note stock and we'll read it off. Uh, Hug Reports is done as a round robin, as is the next section. Uh, where I will start and then we'll kind of call on everybody uh, who's in the voice chat at that point and give everybody a chance to speak. And again, if you're lurking, we'll skip over you. Uh, after hug reports, we have status updates, which is a chance for all of us to take a few minutes to let each other know kind of what we've been working on and what we plan on working on in the coming week. It's a good way to be aware of what's going on and also give kind of pointers to somebody who's doing work that you may have done in or is done work similar to the work that you've done in the past. And then lastly, we have our in the weeds section, which is a chance to ask any sort of questions about CircuitPython development and also uh, us to have debate technical discussions that may have taken a bit more time than uh, what we want to take in status updates. And then we'll wrap it up. So uh, that's the way this goes. Uh, I should also say uh, this meeting is recorded and the recordings are available on the uh, Adafruit YouTube channel. Um, and that is youtube.com slash Adafruit. Uh, I just was watching the notes stock and I see that also people are, uh, adding topics to the in the weeds section in the notes stock. So if you do have stuff you want to talk about in in the weeds, please do add it to the notes stock so that we can kind of know what's going on already. Uh, when we get there, we don't have to kind of wait and see if anybody says anything. And... Yep, so it's recorded, it's available on YouTube, and it's available on Diode Zone. It also ends up in the Python for Microcontrollers newsletter, which is adafruitdaily.com, um, to sign up for that. 
And uh, the recordings have links to notes, so you can check out uh, the notes that we took during the meeting, and we have time codes in there in case you don't want to listen to the whole meeting. Meeting tends to last about an hour, so uh, sit tight. And with that, let's get going on to community news, and we'll hand it over to Phil. All right. Thanks so much, Scott. Thank you. Um, I had a question for Scott. So you did your CircuitPython on Game Boy Talk. Did they have a recording of it, or are you going to post your video? They took it? they took a recording of it, but I haven't gotten a copy of it to them from them yet. Um, gotcha. But yeah, I do have my recording as a backup as well. All right. For the folks who tune into the newsletter, there was some live tweets from it, and if we get that, we'll put it in an upcoming newsletter, and then also our our blog. Right. People were interested in it. Okay. I will break some of the rules because I have to go and run an Adafruit um, right after I get uh, through these notes. First up, uh, Hug Report, Jepler. Um, I'm, I'm CC'd on some of the stuff that Lady Ada and Jepler were working on over the weekend. Good work on the audio stuff with the NRF. It's super cool. I'm often testing these things behind the scenes. So good work. Yay. Next up, um, Circuit Python Day is not quite over. There was still some more celebrations going on. So, uh, Lambda Labs in uh, Beirut had some cupcakes, so you can check those out, and uh, they'll be posting some of their festivities and more. Um, the CircuitPython newsletter that Scott mentioned, uh, not only does it have CircuitPython stuff, but it has MicroPython and regular Python and all sorts of things going on in the world of electronics that's relevant to um, what we're trying to work on or what we're thinking of working on and a lot of things that are going on in the industry that might be relevant. So if you have news that you want to put in there, don't forget to open up an issue. Um, you can do it at any time, even if you miss this week. Um, you can also email or tweet at us and all that. Uh, we had a new feature that we're going to probably keep up uh, each week. Uh, Brian, Dan, and Melissa are always working on cool stuff. And um, here is some of the things they were working on. I'll put the images in the chat. You can see them or some of them. and. Um, the, from the boards to the code to a lot of the uh, Bluetooth stuff that Dan's working on. And speaking of, I offered this to Dan. I don't know if he's going to do it, but we said we'd pay for any type of face tattoo he wants, <laughs> um, as long as it's, it's Blinka, like Mike Tyson style. Um, so uh, go ahead and let him know which one he should get. Uh, next up, there's a bunch of cool art projects that have been popping up using CircuitPython, which I like to see, because I've lived through a few rounds of people doing stuff on microcontrollers. And once artists come in and um, use and abuse your stuff, you know it's happening. So the, uh, the one I really like is um, it's a consumer affairs feed that uh, feeds into a, a recalled boot that kids were choking on. And anytime there's a recalled product, It'll display it on there using Pipe Portal and all the cool CircuitPython stuff we did with Jason. And then there's also um, a Compu, I think it's called Compu, Compu Canvas. And it's a collection of um, CircuitPython related things running on the Raspberry Pi and then also on the Hollowing. You can check that out. Uh, next up, we got a little bit more information about that CircuitPython book. Um, the artist posted up a quote, or the author posted up a quote from the artist, and uh, I thought it was kind of neat. Limitless U of the spectral color represents the infinite possibilities by multiplying the pragmatic necessity by the creativity of the Circuit Playground Express users. I would be happy if my artwork visualizes the multiplicity of the possibility of CPX. So I'm going to turn that into a t-shirt. 
or something. I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, we ran out of rulers because it was super popular for Circuit Python Day, but that's okay. We have stickers all month. So um, anyone who wants one who orders, it's now in the free section. And um, it's $49 or more. So these are the new ones that have circuitpython.org since we have that new site. And then lastly, as I alluded to before, um, lots of stuff going on with Circuit Playground Bluefruit, our Bluetooth Low Energy version. We're ahead of schedule and posted up a couple of videos. Um, it works well over 75 feet. Um, we had a mini Desk of Lady Ada-like video over the weekend. We have the tester. Um, we're, I'm looking over at the picking places right now, and I think we are manufacturing the first batch. So good news. Um, this will be, we think, one of the most popular products we have, just like the Circuit Playground Express, and this will untether all of us. Um, be able to use iPads, iOS devices, all sorts of things, and of course you get all the great stuff that Circuit Playground Express does. And that is the community news. Awesome. Thanks, Phil. Super excited to get that Circuit Playground Bluefruit, and I think I need to watch that video later today as well. Yeah, it's kind of neat that we ran out of Adafruit when we were doing the testing. I couldn't go back any further because we were so far away. And that's <laughs> you know, unoptimized. Yeah, it was neat. We were all the way across the the, the building. So, all right. Oh, look, Cater has a vote for Dan to get the face tattoo. <laughs> Just saying. All right. Awesome. Bye, bye Thank you. All right. And with that, that's community news. Uh, let's move on to the state of CircuitPython and the libraries. I'll take a time code here. Uh, overall, um, we had 23 pull requests merged uh, from 10 different authors. Devo is new. Dario7 is new. Albertran DC, I think, has been a, maybe once or twice, along with uh, Jabler and Cogliano are kind of new folks as well. So thank you to all the new folks. We had six reviewers. Uh, shout out to Matt Land in particular for doing that. Uh, and as always, uh, we're looking for reviewers. Uh, it would be awesome if we had just as many reviewers as authors, but typically we do not. If you want to get started reviewing, uh, take a look at a change and just look it over, see if it looks okay to you. If you have the hardware, test it out. Uh, it's really handy if you just say like, oh yeah, I tried this on the hardware and it works just fine. Um, that's really helpful. So um, if you want to get started contributing to CircuitPython, so that's a great way to do it. Uh, Issues-wise, we had 11 closed issues by 7 people and 11 opened by 10 people. Uh, so we're net zero on issues, which is great. And uh, yeah, it, it's good. I think we, t we are tending upwards a little bit, but um, let's just keep... We're doing it very slowly, which is good. So let's uh, keep trying to be ambitious and keeping pull requests closed and uh, issues closed as well. Um, overall... Uh, if I had to summarize where we're at with CircuitPython, uh, 4x is in a good spot, and uh, 5x is coming very, very shortly. Uh, we're looking to have the first unstable release this week, uh, just wrapping up some Bluetooth stuff, I think. And uh, so people should see that coming uh, as the first 5x unstable release. It, it will probably be in alpha because things will still change, uh, but it's very exciting and it will kind of correspond with this first batch of Circuit Playground uh, BLEs as well, which will be nice. Um, yeah, so that's overall. Uh, let's go on to the core and get a little more detailed in terms of uh, core stats. Uh, we had six pull requests merged from three different authors. 
and two reviewers. Uh, we have 17 open poll requests, which is probably the highest number we've had in a while. So um, let's try to get that number down. I think we were as low as like six earlier in the like last few weeks or like the last month. So um, it's a good thing that we have lots of poll requests because I think these are a lot of good changes, but we should make sure and keep working through them. Don't let them sit too long. Um, Issues-wise, we had five closed issues by three people and five opened by five people. So the core issue count is net neutral at 187 open issues as well, which is good. Uh, we have seven active milestones. We have uh, two for four X and five for five X. We have uh, 10 open issues on 5.0.0, and we have three open issues on the bug fix for five X, uh, which are kind of like the most important, I think, the most urgent. And we also have five issues not assigned a milestone, which is never good. So uh, we'll have to take a look at that as well. We have a number of open issues on the 4X stuff uh, still. So uh, at some point, we'll need to go through those and decide how they fit into our 5X timeline. Um, but yeah, that's where we are on issues. Uh, Downloads-wise, uh, we have uh, them broken out in the notes by board. We only really have one release currently. Uh, we have 4.1.0 along with RC1, just as last week. And uh, we've had 2,680 downloads on the stable release, which is good. Uh, we also have a breakdown in the notes doc about uh, different languages, and I won't read those off, but you can take a look at the notes. And with that, I'll kick it over to Katni for the library details. Excellent. Thanks, Scott. Mm -hmm. So uh, in terms of libraries, <clears throat> We had 17 pull requests merged by nine authors. Uh, Devo 747, Adario 7, and El DC, Jubler, and Cogliano um, all contributed to those PRs. And we had five reviewers, including Matt Land. So thank you to everybody who's been reviewing. And as Scott said before, it's an excellent way to get started with CircuitPython. We have 35 open pull requests, and uh, we're definitely working on trying to get that number down, which I will talk about later. Um, we had six closed issues by five people and six open by five people, putting us net neutral as well at 128 open issues. There is a uh, page on circuitpython.org that is updated weekly. Um, where you can check out uh, an expanded list of those issues. Uh, so all of them are included in one place across all of the libraries. And in the notes, we have um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine updated libraries uh, in the past seven days. Um, so if you're interested in that, take a look at the notes doc um, to see what we've been working on. And that's where we are with the libraries. Awesome. Thank you, Katni. Okay, let's move on to Hug Reports. I will take a time code. So Hug Reports is a chance for folks to say thank you to the uh, work that, to other people for the work that the other folks have been doing. Uh, it's a great way uh, to both talk about what we what matters to us as a community and simply to recognize those folks who are contributing. So uh, let's get started. I will start. Uh, and again, if you're lurking and haven't let us know, uh, please do. Uh, lurking means we'll just skip over you as we go around in this round robin. 
And again, if you're miss if you end up missing a meeting, feel free to put uh, notes in the doc, and we'll read it off. So. Uh, for myself, I wanted to give a thank you to John Park, C. Grover, and Jeff Epler for finding and fixing a MIDI byte packing bug with TinyUSB. Uh, there was a certain type of uh, MIDI packet that wasn't getting correctly sent over the USB stuff, so uh, thanks to them for hunting, finding it and then uh, Jeff Epler doing the fix for it. Uh, thanks again, or thanks also to Jeff Epler for filling in the gaps for the Circuit Playground BLE uh, by adding PDM in support and the PWM audio out support. That was really, really critical. You can see the timing uh, with the the release of the first batch of hardware is just perfect. Like we'll have a first first version out for people uh, this week as as the first batch goes out. So that'll be super cool. Um, so thanks to uh, my last hug report is for Jerry N, uh, who's been doing some of the really good debugging uh, and investigation into getting a purple LED on the uh, Pi ruler, which is really a weird failure case that we're not quite sure why it happens. Uh, and Jerry's been doing some digging into that. So thanks to Jerry for that. And with that, I'll circle around and go to Brent. Hello. Um, I have some hug reports this week. One is to MS Costi for their work on the ESP32 spy access point mode. I uh, tested it out this morning, merged and released it, and it's really good. And I'm excited to see what people do with it. Um, Adam uh, on the Adafruit IO team for redesigning and revamping the website. If you haven't been to Adafruit IO in a while, you should definitely head over there. Uh, there's a full UI redesign, including links to guides, links to CircuitPython related things, and it's quite good. Hmm. Um, so thanks to Adam for bringing it up to speed. Um, Dan for BLE, it's good to have more protocols supported by CircuitPython. And then G, uh, JP, uh, uh, Jay Padilla on GitHub for their work on PyJWT. Um, it's always interesting to read other people's work when you're creating something and their API um, provided inspiration for um, a CircuitPython JSON web token module that I have not released yet. And that's my hug reports. Awesome. Thanks, Brent. Okay, Carter and C. Grover are lurking, so we'll go to Dan. Okay, hold click on. I got to scroll back. Uh, <clears throat> so I'd like to thank Jeff Epler for doing like a bazillion PRs, some of which are new work, like PDM in and some other things for the NRF, uh, some cleanup stuff that's been in the queue for a while, and some fixes like. Um, Scott mentioned the the uh, MIDI stuff. It's really great work, and it's just fit right into our workflow tremendously. Uh, thanks to Scott for his continuing work on Display I/O. Uh, there are some PRs that I reviewed and then accepted, and then he reviewed my BLE pull requests, and they are now in the main line now. And thanks to Hero Effect, that's uh, Lucian Copeland, for his uh initial stm32 pr which has uh, the beginnings of i2c support and a bunch of support for very minimal ports uh, like with no usb even so we're working on that uh together with him and then thanks to jerry for sort of being continuous testing engine whenever a new uh build comes out he'll test it immediately and and try it and uh often catches things that we don't see and is always willing to submit an issue right away about something and give us a lot of details. That's really helpful. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. 
Thanks, Dan. All right, let's go to Dave Brichetti. Hello, everybody. I'd like to thank Gatney for creating a new category for more advanced examples because I enjoy making them. Awesome. Sweet. Thanks, Dave. All right, Deshifu. <clears throat> so I haven't been paying much attention this week, but thank you to, to Scott and uh, Dan for reviews on my PR. I really appreciate that. Mm. Awesome. All right, let's go to Jeff Epler. Hello. Well, first, I wanted to thank Dan for some reviews on my PRs and also help with some trouble I've been having with uh, Git. And mm -hmm. I don't know, Dan, whether we have all those worked out yet with your help or if we still have to go back to that later uh, today or tomorrow. And uh, thanks to Lemore for helping me out this weekend online with the PDM audio. Um, really cleared up some misconceptions I had and actually showed me that I was a lot closer than I was worried I was. And it was also very helpful to talk to Summersoft a couple of times about audio stuff because um, he had previously done work on the PDM in, which was lost, but you know, um, still the ideas were there. Mm -hmm. And thank you for you, Scott, taking my joke pull request at least a little bit seriously. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, yeah, and a group hug to everybody because it remains the best online community that I get to participate in. Woot. Awesome. Thanks, Jeff. Okay, Jerry's missing the meeting, but I will read it off. Jerry says, uh, hug report to Dan H. Congratulations on the release of the BLE Lab. Also, thanks for patiently helping me with several issues that turned out to be non-issues. Uh, and thanks to Adafruit for getting several Stemma slash quick breakouts out there. Uh, nice to be able to daisy chain sensors. So that's from Jerry, who might make it later. Uh, but for now, I uh, will read off for Josh. Josh says, uh, my hard report this week goes to the team working on the Circuit Playground Express BLE version. It's going to open up a whole new way to interact with the Circuit Playground and CircuitPython. Thanks, Josh. And let's go to Katni. All right, so um, I want to thank uh, Dave Ricchetti for submitting new examples to the Circuit Playground Express Library repo and for being super patient about issues with PRs. We are stretching um, our current configuration uh, with every one of these PRs, and that's great. But it also means that we have to do a lot of iteration, and Dave's been very patient with that, so thank you. Um, I want to say a uh, belated thanks to Sedacious for helping out with forums and so on while I was getting caught up with work after being gone. Uh, hugged Crayola for help with my current code and explaining Modulo. Uh, to Warthog9 for getting me set up with VMware. To Summersoft for continued work on Adabot and fixing up an issue with CircuitPython build tools this weekend. And to Dharada for suggesting adding a note to the Pygamer guide on how to read analog joystick data. Awesome. Thanks, Katni. Okay, Kinger North is lurking. So next up is Maker Melissa. Hello. Okay, let's see here. Oh. What? Actually, can you come back to me in just a second? Yep. Okay, I just need to pull up the notes doc. Okay. All right. And uh, right after Maker Melissa, we have Summersoft, who wasn't able to make the meeting. Uh, Summersoft says, 
uh, Jeff Epler for the conversation regarding Mixer Voice. All right, Melissa, are you ready now? Or is that too quick? Stock too. Where's the note stock? All right. Okay, I'm in the air now. Cool. Okay. Go uh, ahead. Okay, so I just wanted to give a hug report to you um, for helping me with getting the SSD thirteen fifty one display driver working again, mm-hmm. and uh, group hug. Yeah, and a pro tip for everybody, uh, if you have displays that aren't working, uh, try lowering the baud rate, especially if they're on a separate breakout. Uh, that was the... Yeah, I didn't even know you could lower the baud rate via that method. Yep. Well, the four-wire baud rate stuff is pretty new. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Thanks, Melissa. Thanks. Okay, let's go on to status updates. Status updates is a chance for us to talk about uh, so it's done as a round robin, just like Hug Report. So we'll go through the list again and take a few minutes to tell us what you're working on, uh, what like what you did in the last week and what you plan on doing in the coming week. And uh, there might be some tips or tricks people can give you on what you're doing. Uh, I will start and take a time code. So 2530. So this week uh, there's a theme um, and I forgot one of the two. Uh, the theme is I have to finish stuff that I started. Um, one thing I have to finish and the kind of the biggest task I have is adding ePaper support to CircuitPython. And along with that, uh, changing the way that display refreshing works. Uh, for OLEDs, it will not change uh, by default, uh, but you will now have the option of turning off the auto refresh for like other displays. Um, and then the new refresh thing will... Uh, make it easier to stay in sync with the frame rate too. Uh, uh, for e-inks you will, or for e-paper, you will have to explicitly re- tell it to refresh the display. Uh, if we do it automatically, we risk like getting you into a, you into a state where you have to wait three minutes for until you're able to do it yourself. So we don't, we want to be pretty cautious with that. Uh, last week I also started, uh, we got access to the GitHub CI stuff. Uh, which we were immediately interested in once they told us that their kind of target is to allow for 60 concurrent jobs at once, which basically means that we can almost get every build of every board running simultaneously. I think right now it's actually capped at 20 or so. Uh, So it does take kind of like three cycles of, of builds to get done, but it's still pretty dang quick. And um, another cool feature is that we can upload those builds to GitHub Artifacts, which means that, and that does not depend on AWS keys, which means that for pull requests, we'll now be able to download uh, the build artifacts for them. So that's super duper cool. Um, There's a few things that we have to, that I still have to like sort out, like uploading to releases, uploading to S3 and uploading or... um, making sure that the like automatic pull request to the website update works too. Uh, but I want to finish that this week and get us switched over. Cause it's just, it's awesome. Um, after that, I had to finish the I squared C, uh, stop equals keyword arg stuff. And we'll talk a bit more about that and audio core in the weeds as well. 
And then lastly, a uh, line item that I've had that should be pretty simple, but like kind of the, the last thing I've committed to doing for displays is a uh, group hide and show. So um, being able to take uh, elements of a group and just say like, oh, for now, like hide this element um, sort of thing, which actually kind of triggered a thing in my brain about how, how, how I want to do it. Um, I wonder if, yeah, I wonder if that's the way we should do it. Whether we should, yeah, we'll figure it out. Okay. Um, so yeah, lots of finishing stuff this week, hopefully for me. And let's circle around and go to Brent. I'm also finishing stuff this week. Um, last week I was working on getting Google Cloud Core, Google's Cloud Services IoT platform working with CircuitPython. Um, it required a lot of extra work, which is okay. Um, and I'll get into that a little bit. Um, built out a JSON web token, JWT uh, library this past Thursday and Friday, support authentication for CircuitPython devices um, with brokers or services that may use that as their authentication method. Um, I've also been kind of hardening mini MQTT for us. Uh, it's a really solid MQTT client now, and it's just getting better as I keep working with it. Um, I've added a few release notes towards it, and the current release is really, really good and like very stable, which is great. Um, stable in that it's working 100% of the time and not mm. disconnecting and not having any type of strange connection issues, um, which is really hard to do with a network library. Mm -hmm. um, I've also st started to release the network components, or rather the components that make up uh, the IoT core module. So there's an RSA module that you'll be seeing coming into CircuitPython probably tomorrow because I'm splitting some things out of it right now. Uh, there's the JWT module, which will come in probably tomorrow as well. And then the full core module and a guide for that later this week. So stay tuned on that. Awesome. Sweet. Thanks, Brent. Okay. Carter and Seagrover are lurking. So we'll go to Dan. All right. Let's see. Okay. So as I mentioned, um, in Hub Reports, um, Scott uh, uh, reviewed my uh, BLE pull requests, one for CircuitPython and one for the BLE library, and I made some changes based on the suggestions, and they're now merged in. And then I uh, was the PR reviewer and acceptor for some, a bunch more pull requests. I did a Circuit Playground board definition for um, Circuit Playground Bluefruit board, uh, which you've seen in top secret a bazillion times and uh, keep your eyes open. That's all I'll say. <laughs> uh, and um, then I uh, did some stuff so that um, uh, Touch.io, uh, we had a generic Touch.io which was written uh, by Nick uh, Zoik, uh, which he did for the NRF boards, which don't have native touch IO built into them. And, but it's a very simple thing where you basically flip a, um, a GPIO pin between output and input and see how long it take, takes for it to discharge. And I made that generic so that you can use it on any board. And so now we have touch IO for the SAMD51s, the M4 boards 
which is really great because it kind of rounds out the whole thing. You just need a one mega ohm pull down resistor on such a pin. Uh, it's really easy to do. So that's about to be merged in and that should be in the next alpha. Mm -hmm. And then um, I merged in some uh, a fix by Jeff Epler, which um, improved optimization for the NRF builds, but also made the build times longer. And so I rejiggered, like reshuffled the, the build job so that one of them wasn't taking an hour and a half. But um, mm -hmm. Scott is working on using uh, GitHub Actions, right? Is that right? GitHub Actions yep. for this. And uh, we may end up not having to use Travis anymore at all, but use the native, the new native beta GitHub stuff to do builds, which would speed up builds enormously. It turns out. So this that was just a stopgap measure. Yeah, I think I measured one at like 22 minutes or something. Yeah, that's great. So because right now it's like 50 minutes. Right. So and then coming up, uh, what I'll be doing is going back to BLE HID uh, to get that working because it doesn't work right now. And we'll try to get an alpha build out. Scott and I will, one of us will do that. Mm -hmm. Or we'll do it together. Yep. And then I've got some other stuff in the pipeline after that. Okay. Sweet. Thanks, Dan. All right. All right. Let's go to Dave. Okay. I just put a picture there in Discord. Um, one of my examples, Gravity Pulse Pixel, mm -hmm. and I kind of like to add momentum to it. So <laughs> it acts like a pendulum, maybe. I've seen physics formulas for that, uh, like harmonic motion. I don't know that much about it, but I think that might be interesting. <laughs> um, I teach, so I'm, I'm a contract programmer, and I also teach kids programming. And one of my uh, schools private school here in Lafayette, California, and we're starting with Circuit Playground Express this week. And um, it's I have to teach the whole middle school, about 75 kids. And hopefully, I'll get them interested in Circuit Python. That's the goal. That's awesome. I'm super excited to hear how that goes. So please keep coming back and letting us know. You bet. And in fact, the, the show and tell, I think, coincides with after school class so maybe we'll do a live uh, show and tell from the classroom if i can get the parents to agree awesome yeah that would be great cool thanks dave that's all yeah you bet all right let's go to the shippu uh so i did a bunch of work on the new version of pew pew this is called pew pew m4 i i've shown it before, uh, I guess. Uh, so now I have version four, which has rearranged buttons and uh, better case. This is a laser cut case and sound now with a laser speaker. Mm -hmm. So I, I, hopefully this is the final version. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm quite happy with, with the version three already, but uh, some changes needed to be done. Uh, so it, it should come in, in about a week, all the PCBs and, and uh, the new cases. And then I, I, I can show the version 3. Okay. I think I saw a picture on Twitter or something. It was looked really good. Yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah, so this is uh, one. So this is in the Pew, using the PewPew Pew library. So it still has only 8 by 8 pixels in there. But uh, of course, the, the display is graphical, so you can actually replace the pixels with, with images 
of things that are actually related to the game you are writing, but you still only have eight pixels, so it's still very simple to write those games. Hmm. <clears throat> Hopefully that will work. We will see. Interesting. Awesome. Thank you to Shippu. Let's go to Jeff Epler. I realize I owe a belated hug report to you, Scott, because I remain super excited about the CI work. Uh, can't wait to see that actually be deployed. Um, and also, this may be more of a hug report than a status update, but thanks to Katni, I'm apparently now a circuit librarian. I, I'm not exactly sure what my new duties are, but mm -hmm. I hope to discharge them appropriately. Yeah, it, just, um, it gives you like right access to all of the libraries, basically, so you can do merges and stuff like that. Uh, as we alluded to earlier, the NRF PDMN stuff quickly reached a PRable state. And now I kind of understand why uh, uh, P, uh, Phil and Lamore were so interested in moving quickly on that. Uh, I'm <laughs> glad I could furnish what was needed. But while doing the work on the PDMN, I did find a bug where P, PWM audio out on NRF always loops raw samples, and mm. you can't disable it. Uh, I worked on several other issues. I got to learn about MIDI, which um, is good. I've always thought I should know about MIDI, but I didn't. I've tried to start doing more reviews because I keep hearing how valuable those are, and I hope to keep doing that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've been working on upstreaming one of the bug fixes that we found in CircuitPython, which was causing, uh, I think it was a, an assertion failure error. Mm. And uh, of course, it's always fun to work with Damien. Mm -hmm. And then finally, my actual fun project was with the Pi ruler. Um, I set one up to control my home media player, digital picture frame, and a Wi-Fi addressable lamp. So the, it's got uh, one of the buttons is an alt key, and then you can access six functions by uh, pressing the other three buttons with or without the alt. Mm -hmm. And that's just a USB hit device. Um, in the coming week, um, I hope to finish up this new um, audio bug that I mentioned. And aside from that, I don't have any specific CircuitPython things that I'm working on. OK. Yeah, I, I kind of assumed that you'll chat with Phil Lamore about next steps. So. Yes, I definitely will. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll keep you busy. <laughs> cool. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, all right, Jerry's missing the meeting, so I will read off Jerry's notes here. Jerry says, uh, trying to understand why the Pi ruler dot starter star comes up solid magenta instead of pulsing green. Uh, good excuse to get Jlink hooked up and remember how to use it. Still a work in progress. Uh, spent a lot of time chasing what seems to be a similar dot star issue on the Gemma M0, but it appears to have been and isolated an isolated hardware issue on one board. I found an odd issue with the Vemmel 4040i2c on the NRF 52840s, but it appears to be isolated to the Vemmel 4040 and the Vemmel 7700, and not a generic i2c issue. And uh, this week, just keep breaking stuff, <laughs> which uh, is Jerry's specialty, and we fix it, and it makes everything better. So thank you, Jerry. All right, uh, Josh, do you have any text updates? 39, 29. Josh says, uh, this week I've been working on an offline offline version of EduBlocks as it's been heavily requested by multiple people. For now, I've only got it working on Linux plus the Raspberry Pi and hopefully Windows and Macs when I learn how to do installers for them. 
It'll include offline support for CircuitPython, so you can code on your CircuitPython-compatible device in block format without having the internet. That sounds super handy. Uh, thanks for dropping in, Josh. Super happy to have you here. All right, uh, let's go to Katni. Okay, so last week started redoing the MicroPython watch guide in CircuitPython and immediately ran into a bug in CircuitPython with I2C and OLEDs. So I put that on hold. Um, I assembled the project physically so that I had it ready for when the bug was fixed. Um, started looking into a linting guide that I will be doing. Uh, eventually tested the bug fix for CircuitPython, I2C and OLEDs. Uh, completed once that was in and merged, um, I completed the code rewrite. So um, that is now done. Um, and I so I started on the circuit Python code page in the guide. The guide already exists. Obviously, it was a project designed for MicroPython, but we are redoing it now that OLEDs are supported in display IO. So uh, I will be just doing a code page. And then um, since it's a 3D printed project, Noah and Pedro are going to be redoing the rest of it. And they're super excited about that um, because it's one of the earlier guides. And uh, they're looking forward to redoing that in CircuitPython. Um, I also set up a Windows VM. This came out of the fact that um, installing PyLint is different, obviously, on Windows than it is on Mac and Linux. So I need screenshots for both, and my Windows machine is still not set up from the move. And I figured it actually makes more sense to just have it all locally for stuff like screenshots. So got that set up. Uh, this week, I will be finishing the CircuitPython page. Um, the release of this part of the guide and the redo is contingent on the 5.0 release. So that will be written up as though it exists and then um, put on hold until it is. Once that's done, I'll be starting uh, actual work on the linting guide. Um, I need to, a couple uh, random things, I need to update the CircuitPython library's tracking issue in the CircuitPython issues list to point to circuitpython.org slash libraries. Um, I need to make a note of how to use joystick underscore x dot value and y dot value to find the analog joystick data on Pygamer. Um, realized it actually makes more sense to put in an explanation in the essentials guide of how to read pin.value for analog pins and then link it to that guide because this is a piece of information that may come in handy elsewhere and so it's silly to bury it in the um, Pygamer guide. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'll be updating that because um, it's not actually explained anywhere obvious. I need to begin sorting out how to better track the library PRs and issues um, this is what I was alluding to earlier. There needs to be consistent follow through where things are slipping, we're losing things, and um, we end up with PRs and issues that are open for ages and nobody's doing anything with them and that's not good. Um, there needs to be multiple people involved with this. It's not going to be something that I'm going to do entirely moving forward. I am going to sort out coordinating how we're going to do it and then make sure that we get more people involved. Um, we need to update Adabot to better facilitate this. And I'll be talking to Summersoft to go, to figure out how best to go about updating Adabot um, and getting that information somewhere that we can get to it. And with more, um, more information about how long it's been since an issue has been touched and that kind of thing. And we talked earlier about 
utilizing tags and labels so that we can actually mark enhancements and mm -hmm. things that are not, you know, bug, not bug fixes, things that don't have to be addressed immediately as such so that we're not going, oh, there's this one that's been open for 40 days, but it's like a, an enhancement that's, you know, a year down the road. Right. Um, that's fine, but it right. needs to be somewhere and not in our please fix this immediately bucket. Right. So um that's a bunch of stuff we need to talk about and then lastly um hopefully i will be setting up the replacement new laptop the first one the graphics card failed on it and had to be returned so um hopefully the new one arrives this week and i can get that set up and actually get going on a machine that works and that's me all right thank you katney all right king or north is lurking so let's go to maker melissa What? Hi, uh, just a second. Okay, uh, so last week I finished up updating the remainder of the display guides. I think there was 11 in total uh, with the new display I.O. section. Mm -hmm. I did some uh, blinka testing on the Jetson Nano, and that needs a little more work still. Um, I started a new... Adafruit IO message panel guide, and I updated the display text uh, for the Pi Portal example to work on the latest stable build. Oh, thank you. This week, I'm yeah. This week, I'm gonna finish the message panel guide and start working on a guide for getting TensorFlow running Raspberry Pi four and anything else that comes up. Sounds great. Thank you, Melissa. Yeah. Thanks. All right. And uh, last but not least, we have Summersoft, who was not able to make the meeting, but put a bunch of notes in here. So I will read those off. Summersoft says, uh, last week on the Mixer Voice PR. Oh, that's right. Not last, but not least. We've got one other person after this. Uh, for Mixer Voice, uh, for Summersoft, says uh, non-DSP versus DSP capable functions. Um, at Jeff Hepler's suggestion, I've dropped efforts to accomplish slash fix non-working assembly DSP functions in favor of using C functions. My ears and eyes cannot discern any lag in using the C functions compared to the assembly. Uh, regarding 8-bit signed versus 16-bit unsigned, uh, last week I asked about not supporting these formats, which received agreement. During our conversation, Jeff Epler also pointed out that raw sample allows both of these formats. I worked, from, worked through some test scripts for this, and the functions seem to be working properly on an M4. Need to test on an M0 and then should have a PR in, which is awesome. Uh, CircuitPython build tools fixed a bundling issue with an examples subfolder containing the word examples in the name. <laughs> uh, example, uh, or f yeah, example. It's a example slash advanced underscore examples. Uh, basically, the subfolder path would be truncated when building the path tree, uh, causing the bundle slash zip functions to cough up a not found error. And uh, this week, more Mixer voice work. So thank you, Summersoft. And uh, actually, last, we have a status update from Tammy Makes Things. Um, Tammy says, uh, working on a script to automatically update CircuitPython devices with the latest UF2 and latest libraries with more details to come. Awesome. That's great to know. We just asked somebody to work on that as well. So... I will coordinate with Tammy. And that's uh, status updates. So the last section we have here before we call it a week or a meeting for the week is our in the weeds section. 
in the weeds is a chance for folks to uh, have longer form discussions about topics they want to discuss. If you have a topic, please uh, pull up the notes doc and add it to the list. Uh, We have three items currently, but uh, we're happy to handle or talk about more of them. Um, So let's uh, kick it over to Dan to start. Okay, I just wanted to, I've, I've gotten some call for some sort of short-term features, um, and I'm trying to figure out which release to put them in. Mm-hmm. And specifically, um, there's some utility classes, bin ASCII and Hashlib, which were would have been useful for the RSA implementation for the Internet of Things work that Brent is doing. Uh, he ended up with Python versions of those who would work we, they already exist in C form, they just weren't turned on. And uh, so uh, that's an example of something that we could turn on in 4.x, especially since the target for a stable release for 5.x is probably, you know, a, a relatively far ways out. Right. Um, so I could implement those in 4x and we could make another 4 release. And then the other thing that was true was that Bilbinko. AT Maker's bill uh, has a need for a custom USB descriptor, USB HID descriptor to support the Microsoft uh, adaptive controller for Xbox mm-hmm. XAC. And I have an idea about a simple way of doing that. And that's also, he could make his own fork, but this could also be a step toward um, uh, making this uh, a feature. We have an issue for this open right. already. So those are both things where, and we have some other outstanding issues in 4.x, which we haven't, we've neglected. Right. I'm not sure how important they are, but so I think the question is whether, uh, can people think of other things that might go into 4.x or bug fixes they would like to see in a stable release? I know that a number of the PRs I did would apply to 4.x. I'd have to go back and review them, but I would be happy to make older versions if we are going to make a release. Okay. Yeah. Like for instance, or the, the touch stuff that I did or right. There are some other, um, I don't think we're going to do, I think we're going to push for the NRF releases. I think we'll push people toward five. Right. I don't really want to backport BLE or NRF specific stuff. Right. Oh, definitely not. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would kind of say, like, if it's really minimal work, it's fine to backport. Like, turning bin ASCII and HashLive on, like, ideally, we would switch it to the shared bindings and shared module model uh, yeah. just for documentation and consistency. But that's probably more work than at least just turning it on for 4X. Um, well, I'll see how much work it is. I mean, that work has to get done sooner or later. So if I do it in 4.x then i can yeah it into that right master. and that t- that work is not hard work it's just more work yeah um so i would say that for it i think um yeah i think it would like in general i like us to focus on something that we're working on uh, but i think you're right that we are like maybe a, a couple months away from a stable 5x given yeah. that we're still going to churn a lot of the BLE stuff uh, until we feel like we've gotten it to a good spot. Um, so, yeah, I think if it's if you think it's important enough, I'm I'm open to it. 
Uh, I would like to know more about your hid custom descriptor stuff that you're alluding to. Um, because my concern would be that that would be a lot of work. Um, but right. I, I want to do something that's, I don't want to do a lot of work. I want to just make it possible to replace the HID descriptor. Hmm. So it might be a single call that takes a byte or byte array takes a, takes a buff kind of thing. Yep. Um, and lets you, it will, it will send that out rather than the canned one. That's right. all that he needs, I think. So, um, the and that would go that pie. So the challenge that you're going to have is the challenge that you would have more generally, um, which is once you do that, where does the mem- how do you allocate that memory? Yes. Right? And how do you- yeah. And so it's almost like if you're going to do it for hid reports, you might as well just do it for the whole descriptor. Um, although doing it for the whole descriptor has the added challenge of like, do you really want to turn the circuit pie drive off? Or if you don't, then how do you get that portion of, of the descriptor still to like put back into your custom descriptor? So, right, right. The, the USB descriptor has the advantage that, it, I mean, I can special case allocating some fixed memory for some non garbage collectible memory. So, um, Right, but you don't want, but you don't want a special case that in the build up front. You want to be able to do it like on the way out of the VM. Otherwise, you're taking memory for some corner case all the time. Right, right. No, I wouldn't allocate it statically, right. but I would just, right. I would, right. Yeah, and the display right. stuff does some of this already. Yeah, so I'll probably follow your lead. Yeah, I just, I, I do worry that it's a lot of details. Yeah, it, it and it might be, and so maybe I would just say I can't do it, do it for, right for Bill right now, and he has to has to maintain his own fork. Well, I think so, I, I I think I think what I would propose is finish Billy HID, and I think that's kind of like the last thing we plan on having you do, and then because you've been doing Billy for so long, and then if you want to do this USB descriptor work. Like after that, I think that's totally cool. We'll do it in five x. So, for this topic, I don't think it would go in four x. But but I think re- doing that in five is like something people really want. So yeah, I think also. I mean, I think we can do it at a kind of a low level, and then there can be a library that constructs a Python library that constructs these things. I think writing right. the smallest amount of code possible in C and doing the rest in Python. Right during boot.py right. is probably the right thing to do. So And that's what and that's why I was like I was okay with us having this USB descriptor library just spit out a byte array for the descriptor. Right? Like, yeah. The idea is that like that byte array can then just get plugged into the C land and, and it manages it. Yeah. Yeah. So so I'll look and see how hard that is. And and I won't I won't do that if it looks like it's kind of a rat hole or not. I mean I would also worry that if you whatever easy form of it you do you're just going to end up changing the api when you want to do the full thing that's that might be true (laughs) so i so like i think you're close with hid like you've written the code you just need to debug it i would encourage you to just do bealy hid and then i think you free yourself up to spend maybe a few weeks on yeah no i have no intention of of, i'm bealy hid is my number is my first priority yeah so i think i think after that i think after that this is a fine a fine thing to do because then it allows us to do the like 
potentially dual serial links up the USB and things. That yeah. It's like one yeah. of the oldest yeah. issues we have. <laughs> right, 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 right. It's worth thinking about. And yeah. it's and it gives you the freedom to not do BLE for a little while. Although yeah. it, by that point, I'll probably be asking you a bunch of questions about it. Right, then I, right. I'm sure there'll be more BLE to do. It's not yeah. going to stop. Right. Well, hopefully at least you're sharing the load at some point when I finally yeah. can get to it. Um, okay. All right. Thanks. One more random neuron that fired while you yeah. were talking about that was uh, I saw with the STM stuff down in tiny USB that it has a limited number of right. um, endpoints that's right. too constraining. Right. Will this help with users of that board choose which endpoints they want to activate? Yeah. Like trade a hid for uh, something else. Right. Um, right. Yes, that would give them more flexibility. Uh, but I think I think we're set by default for those boards because I think just like passing the board name in and then just having custom logic in the USB descriptor generator is totally fine. Um, but like as you say, Jeff, like it it does give STM users the ability to like control their own fate in terms of the trade offs of the USB stuff. Right. I think maybe I maybe MIDI was turned off so that HID could be on, or I forget what the trade-off was, but there is one that had to be made versus right. what CircuitPython would prefer to have. Right, right, right. And we're totally going to get... We're, we'll even hit those boundaries of, like, the NRF and the S and the SAMD. Well, maybe not those, but, like, as we implement more USB classes... Like, I'd love to do audio and video up the USB link. Like, potentially, we, we get ourselves in a state where we simply can't do all of the different things that we support all at once, like we currently can. So, yeah, I think that's good work to do after the BLE hid stuff is in. And the pairing is there as well. Or bonding. One bonding, right. Bonding, BLE hid, and then bonding. Yeah. Right. Cool. All right. Um... Okay, I want to talk about. Uh, so you're good, Dan. Yeah, so. yeah, I'm fine. That's it. That's enough. Okay, so the other thing I wanted to talk about was uh, kind of our policy on breaking APIs. I have been so this has come up twice with Five X. It's come up once for uh, the the move from Audio IO to Audio Core for raw sample wave and mixer. Um, and Jeff has a pending PR that uh, will put those both in audio core and audio IO. And then um, the other one was that I had this pending PR for removing the stop keyword arg to I squared C write um, as a way to force people to use the write then read into that I added, uh, which is the one that like Linux can actually do. Um, I think. I've been pushing back to just break things and fix the libraries as it comes up. Um, but other people have been pushing back and saying like, no, we should really like for one stable, one major release, we should support both so that libraries don't have a hard time. Um, and I'm starting to realize that that is a, a, a decent approach because if you don't do that, if you, if you be kind of cutthroat, like I was saying, like you're going to end up, having all of this try accept stuff all over all of our libraries, uh, which is kind of like 
handling that cross compatibility, like version cross version compatibility in a distributed way, which is kind of bad because like once you want to clean it up, then you have to clean it up everywhere. Um, so the question I have is, and the idea that I had was what if we actually backport new APIs to our existing stable release rather than keeping, uh, or have, rather than having 5X support both new and old APIs, we actually backport new APIs to 4X, get people to update to the latest 4X, and then 5X can remove the old way of doing it. Um, and that allows us to basically say, like, all our libraries, like, we, we tend to have two releases, right? We have a stable release and an unstable release. Like, and we can always keep our libraries working with both of those things. So, like, in in our case now, it would be both with 4X and with 5X. Um, so there's two ways we could do it. We could do it so that libraries support 4X and 5X, but then they wouldn't support 6. Or what we do is we wait and we support... And, and 5X supports both things so that, like, 6 is what we would actually remove it, if that makes sense. And and I think that's the trend we've been going, where, like, 6 is where we actually remove stuff. But I'm wondering if we should actually... If it's actually better to backport new APIs to 4X and then remove it in 5, because that just means that we get it all done sooner. How long do you expect... 4x to be stable a few more months because then 5x will be stable right right. no that's what i'm asking like is how long if we're backporting how long are we expecting to be supporting both um because if we do it in five obviously we're expecting you know another three months past that or whatever um but if we're backporting to 4x we're we are significantly shortening that amount of time and I, I don't know what the thoughts are on on that transition period I guess is, is my question well I also don't know we can't backport incompatible stuff to 4x you can backport new stuff but to drop the stop argument for instance that's not right but the but the new thing in that in that case is supporting the write to then read from call right right, right so that's so what we would port back Another another issue that we, I mean, another way of solving this, and we have to invent a new mechanism, is that we could have libraries that are, whose compatibility, we can have multiple releases of libraries so that the 5X, right now the library version numbers don't correspond, and I don't think they necessarily should. Right. But the point is that just like in, like the, in PyPy world or something like that, you can say like, well... Module B needs module A, but it can't be newer than such and such. Right. Something like that. So that it's it's like a it's a prerequisites list. And we don't have any mechanism right now in the library world right. to say, well, this library is compatible in this way with these versions, or it is compatible with these versions that is not upward compatibility. So that right. for instance, you can say, well, library version 1.0 in this library is compatible up to 3.x. Version two is compatible up to 4.x, and version three is compatible up to 5.x of Circuit Python. Right. And then we could build bundles that have the appropriate library, have the appropriate um, right version, the latest version of the of the most of the compatible library. 
So we'd have right. to like add another field in init.py or something. I don't know somewhere. I, I mean, I don't right. know exactly how to do this right now, but uh, I think that that kind of like I already have that problem with the BLE library that I I some people are going to be using forex and yet I have this version of BLE which is newer and incompatible right. and I can only tell them in words right now right which one to use and I would really like it to be automatic so that the right bundle contains the right version since we don't have package management right like it's sort of like poor person's packet package management right tendency stuff so I, I think that's the ultimate solution or I think that that's another then you can make you don't have to worry about this backporting stuff most of the time you just have to say like yeah you don't you just don't use a library that's newer than so and so so um, and it will encourage huh. people to, to move up because they'll say like oh but I want that feature so I'll right. um, I'll, I'll 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 upgrade, you know. So uh, and then you get them to upgrade everything at once. So this is I I think we might think about hmm. how to do that because we don't have that problem, but many all of everybody else that does package management has this problem. So they've implemented some mechanism like this. Right. Like version pinning is the term usually. Right. 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 I don't know exactly. Right. I don't know. I don't know the terminology, but you know, it's certainly yeah. true in Python or anything else. Right. That's in, why in you general. have all this virtual environment stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And but I don't think and, it covers Python necessarily. No, but in like requirements.txt, you can say like the version has to be less than or equal to such and such, for instance. But that's only for libraries, as far as I know. I don't know if it covers Python runtime itself. Right. Right. Well, there has been no, there has been very little Python incompatible right. changes. Right. It, it increases recently. It's what? It increases recently. Like the, the latest release of Python has uh, quite a bunch. <laughs> so I, I think we, we are yeah. going to see a trend in there and probably some solution mm -hmm. to it as, as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, I guess the I, point of view. Sorry, go ahead. I, I just had two comments on the on the original proposal that that uh, Scott made. Uh, one is uh, about this backporting the new APIs to the old version. Well, we have the stable version uh, because it's stable. If we start backporting things to it, especially like APIs. As long as it's simple stuff, then then that's fine, I guess. But uh, the point is, it's tested and working. And if we start backporting complicated things to it, right. we end up with no stable version in practice. Right. And uh, the second comment I had is uh, that I'm basically because of the need for stability and testing, and because testing is uh, quite a lot of work. I'm actually arguing for for this. Uh, one one kind of code that works in two versions so that we can have uh, the same code running both on the current stable and on the current uh, like uh, uh, alpha version right uh, and one one reason for that is that then you can easily test the same identical code 
right. to compare it right. without without having like branches in, in your library and having one of those branches broken right. and not tested. Uh, so so that's my main motivation. It just makes testing and finding regressions right. easier right. that way. So that that's all I have. So the point of view I am kind of coming at it from is trying to think of the user. Um, I got a Pi Portal last week, and I ran the demo, and it worked. And I upgraded it to 5.0, and I ran the demo, and it didn't work because it hit the um, audio core problem. Right. And so if we can improve that experience for a user and the cost is low, we should. So in the case of the uh, specific PR that I filed, you know, we can pay 28 bytes of flash and we can be compatible. Now, you know, if we drop it in 6x and a user gets their 4.1 Pi portal out of right. a cupboard and puts 6 on it, right. then the bad thing still happens. And at some right. point you have to accept that. Right. Um, the number two thing to consider is what is the cost of putting compatibility in versus the cost of going through every circuit Python grep or whatever to find uses of PWMIO that need to be P or uses of audio IO that need to be audio core. Right. It might be a rational decision to just go ahead and put that in. As far as backporting to 4.1, suppose we backported audio core to 4.1. Right. That doesn't fix a deployed copy of the Circuit Playground Express right. uh, library that, that was installed at the factory. And so it doesn't right. help the user keep their code working. So I don't okay. see the value in that okay. approach. I mean, my, my main argument for doing it as soon as you can, like removing the old API as soon as you can, is that the longer the API exists, the more code refers to it. Right, like as long as the old API is there, people will write code that uses it. <laughs> Even if you tell them that it's deprecated, they will still keep adding stuff. So like there is at some point this moment where you're just like, we're going to break you. And that was like, and that's what major versions are all about. Um, but I think, I think there's a strong argument that you want the, you want the cross like two version compatibility to happen in a central place, which is circuit Python rather than another place. And yeah, if it, in 6x we actually still delete it and break some people, that's because they weren't paying attention, right? Um, and that's okay. Like at some point, you're gonna have to do that. But if 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 we support both in 5x, then we can at least get all of our libraries up to snuff first, and all of our code and everything like that. Yeah, I think it gives you a lot of comfort as far as what's the timeline that you get those fixed. Um... And you know, I'm happy to accept either outcome on this particular PR, and I'm happy that we opened the discussion and we're able to talk about it. Yeah, I mean, I like I like what Dan's talking about too, of just like being able to keep track of when, like, being able to programmatically define what version something is expecting uh, makes a lot of sense. I don't know, it breaks my mental model of the bundle where the bundle was supposed to have all the same thing for all the different versions. Um, but maybe that's okay. Like the bundle, if we do this thing where 
4x of the bundle has a different version of a library than 5x of a bundle like suddenly the the code that's embodied in the bundle does not match what's in the master repo but maybe what we need is we actually need separate branches of the bundle to match up with major yeah, versions. I think if you're going to do that, you'd have to have branches in bundles that match. Could we just do that? Is that how we could do it, Dan? Or is it just like, what if we had one branch per version of the, of the bundle? Maybe that's the easiest way because, I mean, it, it still has to be, I guess, the question is, was there's any other programmatic way to check? So that's an automatic way that's done by bundle building, but right. think so that you don't have to go back to GitHub to see what the release notes say. Right. It could probably be embedded somewhere near the underscore underscore version thing. Uh, maybe. Well, the other thing is Adabot is Adabot automatically updates in the bundle. So we would at least have to have a flag for Adabot to say like, Oh, by the way, never update this anymore. Like we'll right. we'll do it by hand. Right. I think if we I, I, we can sit down and think about this. Yeah. And and it's it's hard to it's hard to do this design exercise. Uh, is there an open issue for it? Because there should be. Uh, if there's not. I don't know. Maybe I don't know. I don't even know where it would be. Where it would be in the somewhere. <laughs> Yeah, in the bundle or most of us most of us follow all of them so yeah and we can publicize right, it wherever it is maybe i'll up. so maybe i'll write up an issue okay yeah please do without without a solution right just say yep. like here's where okay, we I'll discuss such and such yeah right okay let's keep going we're uh an hour and 15 in yeah. but we have one more topic and then we'll wrap up so katney take it away uh when are we done building 2x bundles uh great question that totally dovetails into what we were just talking about and i think the yep. answer should be uh soon okay so my vote is when we release five alpha right so when we add 5x we should stop doing 2x okay, we really should on. stop doing 3x too but in I, fact I, like we i know we should just stop doing 3x, right? Like if we're talking about our a policy of only supporting the unstable and the stable releases, mm -hmm. like we can always point people to the last, like this is the hammer that does exactly what Dan's talking about, where it's like, if we just stop building the 3x bundle, like the last built version is still there. Like people can so, still download and use it. Yeah, my suggestion at that point would be to add something to the CircuitPython troubleshooting page that is like an or in the FAQ or something like that. That's just a static yep. link to the last build. Um, right. It would say so we really we recommend you update, but but if you, if you refuse, here's the last version that yeah, you can and, have, and can do that for two X as well. Okay. Or even one X, right? Like we could go all the way back. Because we did bundles all the way back, I think. Right. Okay. So Sounds we could good. just keep a running log of like, here's the last day that we did it. And maybe may, maybe even say like, and we don't promise that the libraries will work. <laughs> like right. That's the issue. So the libraries may have been updated past it, even though we made it available. 
Okay, added to my list of things to do is to add that static link. Can okay, you, that was my you, thing. Could you uh, file an issue for it in case, so that when we actually make the changes to the bundle builder, we like we can at least somebody else can do that bit. Like there's only uh, a few sure. there's only a few of us that have access to doing the FAQ stuff right now, but like the other stuff you um, don't necessarily have to do. Where do you you want that on the bundle or do you want it on CircuitPython? I would do it on the bundle. Okay. Yeah. I think Dan's issue should be on the bundle as well. Okay, right on. Because it's mostly and also is it also can we start removing stuff like the Circuit Playground Express library has some like it does some checks in it like oh this is new in 3.0 right yes know, we've already up. started doing that okay yeah and yes we can yes we can yeah we can start removing remove react backwards compatibility okay and that's thinking of that stuff was really the reason I was like oh wait maybe I maybe we should do it the way that Jeff had done it in his PR and Radimir has pushed for as well like it's much easier to maintain backwards compatibility code and remove it if we do it in circuit python than if we do it in every library that right. uses that api yep all right and with that let's wrap up um thank you everybody for this circuit python weekly meeting for august 19th if i remember right um this happens every monday at uh 11 a.m pacific or thereabouts uh, 2 p.m. Eastern on our Discord channel, uh, on the Adafruit Discord channel. Everyone is welcome to join that Discord. Uh, it's a great place to hang out and get questions answered. You can do that by going to the URL adafru.it slash Discord. We'd love to see you there and, and say hi to us. Uh, everybody's welcome in this meeting as well, so if you happen to be free, uh, drop by and say hi. If you're not free, uh, feel free to drop a thing in the notes, and we'd love to hear what you're working on. Um, this meeting has been recorded, both the text channel of CircuitPython and the voice, and will go up as a podcast on lots of different podcast services. So that's another way to kind of keep track of what's going on. Um, it's also posted on the Adafruit YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash Adafruit. And the link goes in the Python for Microcontrollers newsletter that goes out Tuesday mornings. Um, if you have uh, topics, posts, and things that, like that that you want to see in that newsletter, uh, we do take pull requests to its repo, so reach out to us. I think it's Adafruit slash CircuitPython dash weekly dash newsletter. Uh, so you can see beforehand what's happening there. Uh, if you just want the newsletter uh, Tuesday mornings, you can go to adafruitdaily.com and sign up there as well. And uh, yeah, I think next week is kind of a normal week again. So uh, thanks everybody who attended and we'll talk to you all next week. Thanks everyone. Thanks.